vibrato. <clears throat> good day, everybody. That sounds good, Christina. Uh, good day. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. And uh, we'll start with prayer and let's thank God for the time we have together to hear his word and be grateful for our study and what God will reveal to us in this study. And so, um, with thankfulness and, and humility and, and great awe of God's Word and what He's done for us, uh, let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for what You are and what You have done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord. That You, Father, have blessed us immeasurably with life, eternal life, through Him. We have been justified by Him, uh, our sins forgiven, uh, made righteous by means of Christ's sacrifice. And so, Father, we can come to You at any time, no matter what is happening, no matter what we've done, that we can see You face to face and behold Your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can seek You and know that we will find You. And we know at times, Father, You allow things to be hard on us and difficult for us so that we will seek You. And everything that happens in our life is Your positive influence upon us that we may draw near to You. And so, Father, we are, again, so just very grateful for Your Word that makes keeps us grounded, keeps our eyes Focus completely upon you so that we will um, see this life that you've given us so graciously and to live it uh, and as we pursue it even after we've failed. So we ask, Father, through your Spirit that our hearts would be enlightened and we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, today we're going to explore... Uh, this uh, praying in the Psalms or praying the Psalms is an entire study in and of itself. And that's because there's 150 Psalms. It's, uh, it's a large prayer book that is in our Bible. It is God's prayer book. And most of the Psalms are written by David. He's the most frequent author. And, and for some of the Psalms, we can, especially by the titles that he gives us, we can link those psalms to uh, aspects or certain uh, events in David's life. And we can take, uh, you know, it's written about him and Samuel, especially Second Samuel, and compare it uh, to, you know, some of the psalms. And we can relate, which, which really bring the psalms to life because when you can, you can see why he's writing what he's writing based upon what he's going through. Um, and there's nothing in the Psalms, well, I should say, there's reverse that. There's nothing we face in life or would uh, pray about legitimately that couldn't be found in the Psalms. And that's significant as well. And we'll see why uh, this idea, which is interesting to me now that, now that I'm so convinced of it that it should be done, and you know we can't find a command where God's going to say pray the Psalms, you know. So, but we we have God handing to us an amazing amount of prayer 
that is done by or written by those who have experienced God in, in their lives and have sought after God in the same way that we should. And if, we're, if we are of the type that want God and, and want to see our Lord and to live the life he's given us, then we'll also desire what they desire, the ones who wrote these. Um, so the, uh, the, the psalm, what we're going to just look at uh, one aspect. Probably today we'll just see one type of prayer that's in the Psalms. Of all the types of prayers that we could pray, of which there are a lot, uh, you think about we petition for ourselves, uh, we ask for maybe basic things uh, from God, uh, we sometimes get fearful of things and we ask Him for stuff, so that's petition. Uh, we petition for others, we request for others, we seek assurance. We uh, worship him, we praise him, we uh, intercede for deep desires, we seek to know him, we seek knowledge, we seek uh, direction, and the ability to make good choices in, in situations. And all of these things are done by us in prayer, and every one of them can be found in the Psalms. There's a Psalm somewhere, and actually more than one, that are going to be just like what you're after. So we say, well, if they're if they're if it's just like what I'm after in the Psalms, why should I bother go looking for it? And we'll we'll address that. Uh, as we have noted, prayer is searching. Uh, your prayer life is not just about getting stuff from God. In fact, I would say that that is the smallest part of it. Uh, that one of the great parts of prayer is searching God out to learn of Him, to know of Him. And that's where this is a, a place where the Psalms really do come alive for us as we're as we're praying them uh, or praying about them. We're exploring what they say. We're exploring the understanding of what they mean, and by doing so, we're exploring the mind of God. And so, part of prayer is searching Him out. Um, and also, that's uh, we see quite a bit in the Psalms, is that God appears elusive at times. And we'll see one of those today, too, that the, um, the, the fact that it seems that we're alone and God's not doing anything and that he's not listening or caring and, you know, where is he? And we're going to feel like that at times, too, and we'll see that in these Psalms. Uh, <clears throat> so our communication with God goes in both directions, and we hear and we speak. And what we hear and also what we say. Now, on our end, what we say is up to us, but what we hear and it turns out what we should be speaking of are the things that are found in the Word of God. And I don't mean the actual words. Like I'm, Even when you're praying according to the Psalms or from a Psalm or multiple Psalms, it's not us just reiterating the words. I mean, anybody can do that. You, you know, you could tape record or do that. But it, it's it's actually understanding the truth that's in the Word of God, uh, the truth, the doctrines, the principles that are true. And when God communicates to us, He is going to communicate in those parameters. So He's not going to speak to us about things or show us things that are outside of His Word. Now, that doesn't mean that for particular aspects of my life, 
and I think I addressed this on Sunday, like who I'm going to marry or what job I'm going to take or where I'm going to live. These things are not addressed in the scripture either. But virtue is. And, you know, uh, maybe maybe uh, there's a job that I could take that I know would tempt me into a certain a way away from the church or away from God's word, and that would be a reason why I would say no. See, the answer is based upon the principles of the word of God, even though the exact situation isn't addressed. And so if we have that truth straight in our minds, then we're, we're able to intelligently pray. And through, through the history of the church, there's been you know, a fair share of mysticism and it's not that mysticism is wrong. And what I mean by mysticism is this feeling and emotion and almost vision of God. And you find there's a legit vision that you get. Now, I'm not talking about visions that like prophets used to get about the future in the, in the, in the Old Testament. I mean, like an understanding that puts a vision in your heart. Like an understanding about God and his way and the truth and your way with God, and who you are with Him, that creates you know, something that we could almost call a vision. We would have to say that it's God-inspired, but it's not like a dream or a vision like that. And so, but it could easily become that for someone who gets, you know, that's all they want from God, and you know, there's a bit of the, of the charismatic movement that went that way, and in certain circles still do, that... They're waiting for this strong, uh, elated, visionary feeling. And they think that's God talking to them. And when you start, you know, if in your mind that's all you want and you're, you're hyper-focusing on one small aspect of your relationship with God and blowing the whole thing out of proportion, and it ruins your relationship with God, because there's so many aspects to your relationship with God, just as there is so many aspects to prayer. Uh, so the revelation, say I do get a revelation of something, or it may even feel like a vision, if it is something that is not in the Word of God, if it's not a part of the truth of the Word of God, then it's not from God. His communication with us. And again, I'm not saying word for word. I'm saying the ideas and the truths that are behind this word. I mean, what is here? There's God behind this word. And in some cases, this get a little off here, but people have worshipped the book and not God. So people have worshipped the academic, the word, the language, and have not understood it to be what it is, which is to lead you to God, to lead you to a real person. So that's what we're after here. So prayer is intelligent based on God's revealed word. And when we're speaking to him, we must always keep that in mind. And that's why I really um, you know, I have thoroughly had, you know, my prayer life has changed quite a bit in this study. And, and one of the ways that it has is that I, I'm cautious to ask God about anything going on with me before I praise him for who he is. Now, when I say praise, I mean our Father in heaven, holy is your name. That's what I mean. 
Not like I can pick my hands up and swaying around. And, you know, people want to do that, that's fine. But as long as it's real, you know, and authentic praise. But authentic praise uh, comes from the heart. It comes from within. And it comes from a solid understanding. And not full understanding, because no one knows him fully. But an understanding of why he's our father. Because he's only our father through the work of Jesus Christ and his incredible sacrifice and love for us. And why he's holy. And why do I get to talk to someone who's so holy? I mean, beyond what we think. We, our understanding of holy doesn't even come close. So, you know, in, in that, what it begins in your heart before you start talking to him about you is how incredibly privileged we are, what a blessing it is, and how joyous we should be that we can talk to him directly and that we know that we'll hear from him directly. Not audibly, but in some way. He's powerful to reveal himself to us in any way that he desires. <clears throat> so it is intelligent, though. Uh, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he gave them words. He didn't say wait for a feeling. He didn't tell them it was some kind of feeling. He told them actual words to pray. So it's Prayer is intelligent and intelligently from the revealed word. He told them first to know God as Father, which we could only do if we knew Jesus Christ as Savior, and the reality of which could only be through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then he told us to honor the Father as holy, which includes the desire for his holiness in our own lives, and when we say, you know, here I am with you, Father, in this inner room, and you're holy, what should I be? And I know I don't measure up. This is not a conversation amongst equals. But what should I be as I'm here with you? What have you made me to be? The only reason I can be here is because I'm righteous by means of Christ. I'm imputed with righteousness. I haven't earned it. I haven't been a righteous person, you've made me righteous as a gift. So what should I be? And it's a great, great challenge. As well, it's something that we should rejoice in because and I, the sin nature hates to even hear you say it, that to be holy and pure is the best, most enjoyable life that there is by a mile. But the sin nature will tap you on the shoulder and say, nah, no it's not. <clears throat> uh, then as uh, the Lord continued in teaching us to pray, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. For this reason, a lot of uh, denominations have thrown this prayer out and say it's not for the church. You know, because can we pray for the kingdom of God to come? Um, no, the kingdom of God's going to come on earth when... God desires it to. It's not up to us. Uh, and so what does it mean? I mean, obviously Jesus knew that too. <laughs> so, you know, why would he tell the disciples, hey, pray for the kingdom to come because if you guys don't pray for it, it ain't going to come. Obviously, he didn't mean that. So what did he mean? And what we, in, in seeing through the rest of the scripture, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is holiness, and righteousness, and justice, and peace, and power, 
There's a few, there's a lot more words associated, but those words that I just said are directly in the scripture associated with the kingdom of God. And those things can be in us. And, and so your kingdom come, your kingdom come in my own heart. Not that the kingdom's going to be built in my heart, but that the way of the kingdom, the pattern of the kingdom, which I'm a member of, that all believers are. I should also want the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom for my loved ones, my neighbors, and even my enemies. I should want the pattern of the kingdom for my government, for my nation. Your kingdom come. There's a lot in that. And it, all, and it also keeps you focused not on earthly kingdoms. And so not put your hope in, you know, that America is going to fix itself and right its wrong patterns. Um, whether we hope that it does and we pray that it does, but if it doesn't, it's not our kingdom. And it keep, that keeps us focused on that. And then finally, in, in the petitions that are pointed at directly about or at God, your will be done. That's the third. Your kingdom come, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done in my life, in my heart, also in the lives of others, also in my family. These are things that I should want, and those are the things that I should be praying for. So these exact words in the Lord's Prayer refer to certain truths. And we'll go into detail in them soon. You'll, you, uh, <clears throat> you'll find that anything you ask of the Father, which is according to his will, fits perfectly in the framework of the Lord's Prayer. Absolutely perfectly. There's anything you can ask for and according to God's will will fit somewhere in those six petitions. <clears throat> the essentials to prayer then are first theological. It's got to be right from the scripture. The things that were speaking of what theology is is just the categorization of God's word the truths that are in there so there are truths about Christ there are truths about the Holy Spirit there are truths about the Trinity there are truths about the Father there are truths about the church there are truths about uh, spiritual gifts there are truths about uh, virtue and sin and man and the fall and the future you know eschatology what's to come truths about the church everything has And all of, you know, we can search the scriptures and put all these things together and we make doctrines out of them. Uh, those doctrines, so what can happen, especially when I let my bias uh, uh, have too much sway over me, uh, I may take these individual parts and put them together in the wrong ways and end up with false doctrines. So our theology has to be right. For instance, the Catholic view is that the Spirit will speak through the church uh, rather than the Word. So, in the, the Catholic view is that they have the, the Latin term is ex cathedra, that the Pope sits on a throne and God speaks to the Pope. And that the Pope can actually, his, his doctrines have the same weight as biblical doctrines. And so, the view that the Spirit speaks to the church rather than through the Word, that's a false doctrine. Uh, but it's based on some true things. And so that's why we've got to be careful. True things is that does God speak to us? Of course he does. So does God speak to us something that's not exactly addressed in the word? Yes. But does God speak about those things in a way that is outside the truths of the word, based on those truths? The answer is no. Uh, 
the Anabaptist view is that the Spirit gives individuals new re- revelations that are beyond the Scripture. That's also false. But again, based on the fact that does God speak to his people? Of course he does. But we have to be centered theologically. Then experiential, we'll look at that. It's, you know, what's, what's the experience of it? Um, and it, the Bible doesn't tell us how much or how long we should be in prayer. But when we're done with our study, you should get a good feel for that. Uh, and I, I would say that daily for sure and, and multiple times a day. But the, uh, <clears throat> the, when I say multiple times a day, it's for us as we, and I, I, I still don't pray enough. I'm very convinced of that. But it's as we mature to come to know God and get less distracted by life. See, the more you zoom in on God and focus on him, the less you're taking in or being distracted by other things. And you find yourself desiring to talk to God more and more. You find yourself, even in uh, the times when you feel your thinking is going astray, that you immediately go and speak to him. And within a few minutes, so uh, you can set your mind straight. Uh, so that's the experiential part. And then the method- methodological is, you know, from the scriptures, how should it be done? And there's some leeway in that, because, but not much. Um, but the, you know, what we pray for, there's been a lot of work done on that, and there's people who have restricted it way too much. And then there are other people, of course, that have, not restricted it enough. And so we want to make sure that we've got these three things as right as possible. So the idea of prayer is that it's a dialogue with God through his word. If we have our, if we, through his word is important, but it is a dialogue. It's not um, robotic. It's very personal. It's not a waste of time. It's very uh, profitable uh, to us. It's an enormously wonderful use of our time. I, I've read several writers, you know, from centuries past who, uh, you know, ha- have written about how a prayer with the Father is the most important, highest thing that a human being can do. And I've thought about that. I thought, well, you know, on, on some level, and maybe I, I just haven't grown enough to understand it, but I, I can see that, that this direct dialogue with the creator of the heavens and the earth, with the almighty, uh, is, uh, it has to be, it's a, one of the highest, we can just put it there. It's a marvelous, marvelous thing that a human being can do. But we have to have our theology correct so that we'll pray for the correct things. Uh, and still, with all these doctrines that we have, knowing them, uh, we'll still often find that we don't know exactly what to pray for. And when we don't, and that's okay, uh, I I can give you some help in that, or really the Word of God is going to give us help in that, and that what we want to do is make sure we pray even when we don't know what to pray or don't feel like it. Uh, And I mean consistently, not like every waking moment, but consistently. And uh, 
that we also get help, and it's from the Holy Spirit. When Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, that we're too weak to know how to really pray correctly, and the Holy Spirit helps us. So, and that which is uh, his title, the Holy Spirit is the helper that Christ promised us. And remember, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is mainly centered on the fact that he's going to reveal Christ to us. So when the Holy Spirit is helping us in prayer, he's helping us to see something. And when we see, we can pray better. So, for instance, take Peter. Peter at um, Pentecost. We see in the Gospels, Peter has a lot of foot and mouth disease, right? We see it all the time and we love him for it. But then at Pentecost, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. They all get filled with the Spirit. And then Peter is this amazing uh, speaker of the gospel and witnesser, a uh, proclaimer of the truth right there in the temple, where it's just days before they were all afraid to even be there. And so what is the difference in Peter is that he's, he's got the Spirit. That's true. But don't forget what the Spirit was designed to do and his main uh, ministry is to show us the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's who Peter is speaking of in Acts chapter two at Pentecost. That's exactly who Peter is speaking of. He's speaking of the Lord. He's speaking of the resurrection of the Lord, the death of the Lord. Uh, and why can he speak it so clearly and so well and so confidently? Is because he finally sees the Lord. He sees him because the Spirit has opened his eyes to the truth of the things that he had not quite seen so clearly. And then he did. On that day, he did. And he spoke with boldness. When, when we see God, we'll be able to communicate with him better, much better. And even with that, we don't know exactly what to pray for. Again, I would say pray anyway. But we have help. First, we have the Lord's Prayer. If you don't know what to pray for, pray that. And, you know, not, not just saying the words. If that's all you have time for, then do that. Right? Never, not, never say, well, this is kind of a waste of my time. I'm not really concentrating. You'll get yourself right out of the habit of it. Then you won't do it ever. <laughs> so you <clears throat> pray. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you can just focus on any one of those petitions and speak to him about what they mean. We will spend a lifetime figuring out what the Lord's Prayer is really all about. But then we have the Psalms, which is the prayer book of the Bible. Uh, and we're going to look at this specifically. Um, as I said, every legitimate prayer is in the Psalms. And so, uh, first, we're just going to look at this today. Is Communion, I should take out the kingdom part. Things expanded a bit. I should have changed that. But basically, we're going to look at communion in the Psalms. And communion is uh, a dialogue with God that is, has the, you know, I'm, I'm careful not to use the word feeling because I know people take that the wrong way. And I don't mean that it's, some kind of emotional feeling, but it is an adoring communion with God where you, uh, without a doubt, by faith, and sometimes there's, a, there's an enormous feeling in it as well, but it doesn't have to be there, 
that you're adoringly communing with God and it is wonderful. So look at Psalm 27, verse 1. Well, first from the slide. Uh, these, this is just a sampling now. It's not every psalm that has this. Psalm 27, Psalm 63, Psalm 84, Psalm 131 are all petitions or prayers for this uh, meeting or the, the realization of the presence of God in the, in the writer's life. A lot of them from David here. And then Psalm 146 through 50, there's five psalms. Those are the last five, right? The, psalm, the psalms only go up to 150. And every one of those are about praising God. Every one of them. And if we have time, we get to it, we'll see a couple of those. Look at Psalm 27, verse 1. David writes, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Now, I'm just going to go with the first verse. This is not a study on the Psalms. This is... And we're going to do a whole section on this. We'll, we'll look at more Psalms later. But this is my way of helping you to start this process. Uh, and that is, and I highly recommend it. And just, you could pick a Psalm at random. Uh, you could pick the ones that you've heard, your favorite ones. This, this If you do this, it will steamroll. Uh, if you are if you are after the knowledge and wisdom, and you're after a life that walks with Him, uh, not because you want stuff from Him, but because you just want to be with Him. If you have found that life is infinitely better with God than without Him. And I mean in, in, in real experience. Uh, all believers have God. I'm not talking about unbeliever, believer. I'm talking about believers that commune with him. Uh, then if you start doing this, you are going to fall in love with it quickly. And it's, just, it's one aspect of your prayer life. Which was, What I've come to see is that there's not enough time for prayer. If we were to, and perhaps that's part of the weakness that Paul talks about in us because we're so easily distracted and we're busy. And here on earth, we've got things to take care of that are not exactly spiritual. I got to make money. I got to wash dishes. I got to do laundry. I got to, you know, take care of the kids. Um, You know, called details of life. And they're not necessarily spiritual things. Of course, I can do them in a spiritual way. But, you know, do you, does anybody, if you're, because I read Martin Luther would spend three hours a day in prayer, uh, but he's a full-time monk. <laughs> All right? So, you know, even after he left uh, the Catholic Church, after, of course, the Reformation, he's, he's still doing that full-time. Yeah, I don't know how he did that and also studied all that he had to do, but uh, anyway... You know, we, we have to find a balance in our life that is one of, because what comes from this too is you say, well, I'm far too busy. I only have a minute here or a minute there to pray. And if that's the case, then 
you know, this you'll never explore this aspect of your relationship with him. This is this is you praying with the Psalms is you and God one on one going over together going over truth about life because the the Psalms are not abstract ideas generally they're about real down to earth day by day life which are all prayers are really about which has in it some you know very uh, part of life isn't always just doing. There's a lot of thinking and meditating and understanding. Anyway, <clears throat> so notice what David is seeking in this prayer. Again, he says in verse 1, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Uh, dwelling in the house of the Lord, he, he may mean the tabernacle. He, there's no temple yet. The temple is built by Solomon. David doesn't build the temple. But there is in on Zion a tent that he has constructed. I'm sure it is a, it's just like the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant is in there. Does he, when he says, "I want to dwell in the house of the Lord," does he mean that tabernacle? And if he does, then what he's referring to are the times in the temple. King David's not going to be in the tabernacle 20, all day and all night. Uh, but at, he's going to be there quite often because he's a lover of God. And what he does in the tabernacle is what is supposed to be done in the tabernacle and it is to pray and to worship God and to learn his word. But David would also mean here, you know, I dwell in that. And even if he only means that, there is no longer a tabernacle. These were not meant just for the Old Testament. These are for all time. So this thought that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Well, where's the house of the Lord now? And it's not the church building. It's in you. It's in me. We are the temple of God now. We're indwelt by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life is really a prayer or supplication that, as Jesus said, you love me and keep my word, I and my Father will build our house with you. And this is what he means. He means, and it's, it seems obvious to me that as you... You see this as David, whose desire is to commune and walk with God every day. And people, you know, people think, like uh, I'm sure years ago I would think the same thing, or would have, that anybody who wants to walk with God all day is what is what is that? You know, you must be crazy. That it, it's some kind of religious nut who would want to do that. And uh, now I know quite differently. This is life going along uh, with truth and with love and with peace and with joy uh, and with power. This is life with God. And in this life with God, now he gives a reason. I asked that I would dwell in the house of the Lord and then he. this is the reason for his prayer is to behold the beauty of the Lord. Uh, Also, you could say to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And this, he means to see God and to be satisfied with God. It's not just to behold the Lord, but to behold his beauty. And, you know, in these lines, David is asking that he could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Uh, So, you know, we're not David. 
of course, uh, we, you know, why would we do this? Well, think about it. If you were to turn to Psalm 27, you were getting ready to pray. Say you've already prayed some. Say you haven't even started yet. I, I know that um, I, I'll give you some examples of this, but we have to be leery about getting other people's examples of how they did prayer. Like, there's some great men of God who have written about their prayer lives, and it's pretty inspiring. Actually, there's a Puritan prayer book that I bought that is amazing. <laughs> I mean, you you reading these prayers is like reading a, a book of doctrine, but the, the danger is that you see this, and they're eloquent, and they got all the language, and the danger is, is that you say, ooh, I want to pray like that. That sounds pretty cool. And then you start mimicking someone else, and that ain't what this is. Prayer is personal. And again, we're too weak to know what to even say, so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with words that are too deep for groanings, uh, Romans 8.28. So, <clears throat> what words you exactly pick to do this, whether you sound like a Puritan who's at the height of, of academia or you sound like someone who could barely talk, it doesn't matter. What matters is the truth in your mind and what you're seeking from God in his mind. So, say I turn, like, again, getting back to us. Let's say I'm starting off, What I, I went on that tangent was that I think it was Luther who would, before he prayed, he would read passages of Scripture and meditate on them just to, and I think for just a few minutes, you know, read some passages of Scripture and meditate on them and then talk to God about what they mean and he would do that to get his mind in shape to pray. And I find that, uh, I practice that a little bit. It's very effective because as we all know, in the middle of our prayer, we can start thinking about uh, other things. And not that God's, uh, you know, not listening, but it's ineffective. You know, what we're after here in our prayer lives is the most effective. Not that, I hope, you know, what do I got to do to get God to hear? Just think. He hears everything. He's omnipresent. He's, om- he's omnipotent. But what is the most effective prayer? And that's what we're after. In prayer, there's all right, pretty good, better, better than that, and best. And what we're after here is the best. So let's say that you came to this psalm and you read this and you were ready to pray. And you started to speak to God about the main thought here. And the main thought here is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. But now that you have that in mind, you can pray and explore with God on your own walk with him. Uh, Do you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? How do you gaze on the beauty of the Lord? Do you want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord? What does the beauty of the Lord look like? You can talk to him about this and and it will lead you down various paths. If we desire to walk with him... Uh, David says, I ask that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord and to speak to God about that? Do I do that? Do I want that? And if I don't, why don't I? 
And on and on, your conversation will lead you down various paths. This is just one line out of one out of 150 psalms. Your conversation with God. Now, you could have this same psalm in mind and the same line in mind to seek the beauty of the Lord and on another day speak to him about this in a different way and on another day speak to him about it in a different way Uh, because there's so many aspects to it. Uh, For those of you who are listening and you're wondering what that commercial was, it was a commercial for Duracell batteries. Should have got Energizer. Uh, Okay, so uh, as we're uh, looking into exploring with God in prayer, using his word, imagine you and God walk in a garden. You know, we have a song that's like that, In the Garden I Walk Alone. But you're not alone. You're walking with him in an enormous, intricate garden that has many, many paths to it. And you're walking with him, and every day you're speaking with him about the truth. What is he about? What is he communicating? What does this thought mean? What does that thought mean? And every day, in conversation with him, you are learning from him. And that's a terrific picture of what prayer is. Not saying, hey, God, give me this. Now, that's a part of it. Don't get rid of that. I mean, I would ask more respectfully, but, you know, God, I need this or I want this. He can just say no, of course. Uh, But what he'll never say no to is your desire to see his beauty. Just focusing on this line in David's psalm. The Psalms will open up for us thoughts that we have never thought of. And this will get us out of our rut if we're in one. If in our prayer lives we find that we're praying almost the same words about the same things every day. Well, I'd say if you're doing that, keep doing it. But also realize that prayer can get stale and then we won't want to do it. Now, if I just open to a Psalm... Here I have Psalm 51. I read the first line. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Beautiful. And I hadn't, maybe right, I hadn't thought to pray about my transgressions or to talk to him about my failures and my weaknesses. And maybe I need that. And if I don't particularly need it now, aren't I going to need it soon? I mean, do we live all that long before sin really starts to bog us down? Does it? How many days go by before uh, we have a bad one or a bad hour and that a failure or a flaw is getting in the way? And I may not have ever thought to speak to him about those things. So, again, the Psalms will open up for us thoughts that we hadn't thought of. 
And it'll get us out of our rut if we're in one. Should we just pray when we feel like it? No. Is it better? It's much better if you feel like it. But again, we're going with, yeah, your prayer life's okay. To yeah, your prayer life is the most effective it can be. The, the one that's never going to be effective is the one that is not, obviously. All right, go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, verse 1. A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so we know here from this psalm, David, and so we need a little history of this from uh, the narrative in Samuel, that David is on the run from Saul. Saul, King Saul is seeking his life. And David spent uh, not all ten years in the wilderness, but a great many of them. Uh, and here he spent quite a bit of time in the wilderness of Judah uh, hiding out. It was difficult. His life was always in danger. Verse 1. And by the way, he's already been anointed king by Samuel years ago. So he knows he's the rightful king. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in David's mind. And he says, O God, thou or you are God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. So David actually is in a place where water is scarce. The wilderness of Judah is uh, <clears throat> not a very wet place, hence it's wilderness. But, uh, <clears throat> but he's using this as imagery for the fact that it seems like God's not there either. That God's not looking out for him. I mean, I've been anointed king. Why aren't I king? Why won't you change King Saul's heart? Why does King Saul want to kill the one whom he actually loved at one point? It was David. And it seems that God's not, you know, weighing in on this. I mean, being on the run for a month or two, okay. But being on the run in the wilderness for years? You know, where's God and then he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. And that lift up my hands is a, is a term for prayer. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. So as food would satisfy my stomach, my soul is satisfied with you. And my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. <clears throat> so David here goes from yearning for God, where is God? My soul is dry and weary as if my body has no water. But then he says, I will praise you. And why? And verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life. All right, so in any of these lines, we could pause and think, well, hold on. When I'm going without, maybe I'm not alone now. Maybe I'm not without now. Maybe I'm not going through a difficult time right now. But someday soon I will. And also it'll arouse in my heart the times in the past when I have. When's the last time you remember 
where your soul thirsted and it felt like it was dry without water. And and so, you know, with that, could I be one who would say, I praise you even though I'm not hearing from you. I praise you even though my life is very hard right now and it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about it. But I praise you for what? Your loving kindness. Now, it helps to know what loving kindness is. It's the Hebrew word chesed means... Uh, but it's kind of right there in the word. Even if you didn't know the, the right definition of it, you could still pray effectively about this. It's God's love, but it's God's love based on his promise. Loving chesed is about a faithful love or a steadfast love or as some call it a covenant love. You know, God has promised me certain things. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He will guide me into heaven when I die, that I am a citizen of heaven, that he indwells me, that he'll never leave me, that he's always for me, that nothing will separate me from his love. The promises go on and on and on. And those are a part of his love. That's why he promises you, because he loves you and he's faithful. But God is love. So everything he does is with the characteristic of love in it. And so David says, uh, your loving kindness is better than life. So say, in, as I was going to pray, I pulled up Psalm 63. And I just read that first stanza. Wouldn't you think of times when you felt alone in the wilderness, so to speak, that God seemed to have maybe forgotten you? Couldn't God the Holy Spirit actually lead you to this psalm at the very time that you needed it? But even if it wasn't a time of loneliness right now, and you started to think about this and talk to God about it, wouldn't it make you think of the times that will come that will be hard? And how at that time God is going to feel distant? And it's not going to be easy. Are you going to praise Him for His loving kindness? Will you seek Him in this? And there's so much, you know, why should I praise you for your loving kindness? What is loving kindness? Why do you not do everything for me like I want you to? And on and on the questions will go. As David says here, my soul thirsts for you. Uh, And The dry and weary land represents David's disconnect from the Lord that we all experience because of sin and occupation with unholy things. We can get ourselves occupied with stuff that are not of God. But again, the thought to us is, is loving kindness or God's loving kindness better than life? And that's what David says. Despite the fact that life is hard, your loving kindness is better than life. And again, this is something that getting back to, um, all right, oh, it's still up there, that these prayers in these psalms that we're looking at are uh, prayers for ador- adoring communication with him. And we come to know that if you have an adoring um, communion with God in which you're quite occupied with him, 
meaning with his ways and his truth, life is better. It's miles better. And, you know, in, in the dry and weary place, we can forget about that. It, actually, when our lives are going along quite well, we can forget about that. When things are looking up and problems are solved, we can forget about that. And where are we? We're just on our own without our Creator. There's no one else here on earth that can do anything for you. I mean, we have people in our lives, and thank God for them, but our pe- the people in our lives, though they love us, they, they can't go into our souls and see everything, and they can't go into our hearts and change things. People can't do that. Nobody can. Only God can. And we seek those changes, and yet we don't seek the only one who can change it. And that's why we've got to get better. Every one of us, myself included, we've all got to get better at this. And that's why I wanted to focus on this at the start uh, of our talk with prayer, which will probably go on for a bit. We're going to learn a lot more than prayer. We're going to learn about God. We're going to learn about God's kingdom. We're going to learn about his will. Uh, things that are really necessary for us to know about. You know, a lot of this study is going to focus on the person of God. And, you know, the, the, the fact that you know, with us, that, that exploration of who he is and to be with him and to walk with him, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that we can easily get distracted from. All right, let's go to Psalm 84. These uh, next two, we get to two, yeah. Just a couple more. Uh, are also about adoring communion with God. There's many more. And, uh, it, you know, it makes you think that if there are multiple Psalms about the similar thing, it's something that God wants for us. The uh, In Hebrews chapter 12, it says to run the race that is set before us, laying aside the entanglement that, that and the sin that so easily entangles us. So run the race that is set before us, laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us, and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that, you know, running the race is life. And laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us is the thing that's going to stop us from running the race and actually experiencing victory. And, you know, the, the way that we do this is to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, on the Son of God. And remember, as we looked at all last week, the Holy Spirit is given to us in his main ministry is to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ and so that we can properly fix our eyes on him. Not some mental picture we have of him, but of him that we really know. And in that, we're putting our mind and our heart in the exact right place it needs to be. And only God can do that. There's no person who can change your thinking to what it needs to be. So, uh, Psalm 84, 1. How lovely are thy dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! 
My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now, again, we're at a dwelling place where David spoke of uh, in, uh, in both uh, Psalms we've seen prior. He said, I, I beheld thee in the sanctuary. And in Psalm 27, uh, I have asked of the Lord that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here we have him yearning for the courts of the Lord. So in all three of these Psalms, we have a yearning of David to be where God is. And in the Old Testament, that's where he is. He's located in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. Uh, For us, we don't have to go to a building. We don't have to travel. He's right here. He's in us. Uh, But we can see why Jesus emptied the the temple courts of the buyers and sellers and he did it twice because the dwelling place of the Lord, as he said, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. And so uh, this longing is for communion with God. All right, go to Psalm 69. Longing for his presence. Now there's, you know, as we think about this, there's, to be in the presence of God, i got to think like him. Again, we're not talking about our position, we're talking about our experience. Uh, to commune with him, I've got to think like him. So there's my true and sober application of God's word and knowledge of God's word but it's there's many challenges to me being truly focused as I should upon the Lord and there here is what prayer finds a, a great relief is to speak to the Lord about whatever it is that is getting in the way of that you know what is it so uh, and to get clarity with him about why it's so important, and so on. So, uh, Psalm 69, verse 5 says, and again, getting to the point where the house of the Lord is just precious and was precious to the Lord Jesus Christ, when he cleansed it, he says, for the zeal for thy house has consumed me. And that's, this is exactly the prophecy that the Lord fulfilled when he drove out the money changers. The zeal for thy house has consumed me. All right, uh, one more. Let's go to Psalm 146. Psalm 146. So these, 146 through 150, are all psalms of praise. Uh, Psalm of praise, and it's important to know what praise is. Uh, what it's not lip service, uh, and it's certainly not, in my opinion, very unnatural for people to be saying praise the Lord for this and praise the Lord for that about like the the most menial things. Uh, I 
You know, that's between them and God, but it's not supposed to be something you just say like, God bless you when someone sneezes. It's supposed to be, praise is something that is intense, and it certainly is spontaneous when you have an outburst of emotion based upon the truth of what God is to you. Uh, But the other thing we should ask is, should I praise the Lord only when I feel like it? So let's say that I'm gotten into this and I'm going to start praying, spending some minutes in prayer, praying Psalms, and I put my finger on Psalm 146. All right, so I read verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have, in, while I have my being. All I'm alive. Uh, beautiful parallelism here, which is in so much Hebrew poetry, almost all of it. And in verses 1 and 2, the same thought is repeated twice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the, sword, praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In other words, while I live. What if I'm not in the mood? I say, well, you know what? I'm really not in the mood. I don't feel an emotional thing in me that would be of praise. Should I praise the Lord even though I don't feel like it? And the answer I would say is absolutely. Uh, These psalms are here, and there's one further, and I'm out of time now, but I'll get to it uh, later, that in this set, Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, where God shows us that everything in creation should praise him because he's the creator. And if he created it, he owns it. And if he owns it, the thing lives for his purpose. He has command over it or authority over it. And that includes us. And if I'm not in the mood to praise the Lord or I haven't, and I put my finger on this psalm, I may want to talk to God about why I don't want to. Why am I not jazzed about you, God? Why have you become familiar to me? Why am I not excited? about the spiritual life? Why have I maybe started to take things for granted? On and on the list goes. And again, it's like you walking in the garden with your Lord and say, hey, you know what? I've had this question. And you may never have thought of the question if you weren't prompted by God. So if we did get to walk with the Lord in the garden, wouldn't he not prompt us with questions. He would say things that would get us to think. He did it all the time in the Gospels. He would say that he would ask questions. You know, who do they say that I am? Who do all the people say that I am? And, you know, he didn't really honestly care about that because then the next question was, who do you say that I am? He set him up for that. And, well, if we had the Lord here to speak to, he would set us up to make us think things that we normally wouldn't. But since he's not here, he has given us things like the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, you read any of them. They will elicit in you a thought about something very important. And you have at that moment an opportunity, because we can pray anywhere, from any place, at any time, immediately to the throne of God with confidence and that we could ask him about that very thing, if we so choose. 
Let's pray. We thank You, Father, for Your Word. We thank You for these psalms. We thank You that through Your Word, for those who tremble at Your Word, Your eyes are upon them. We thank You, Father, for all that You are and all that You do for us. Through Your Word, through our Lord, and through through, uh, the Holy Spirit, who You have given us to guide us, teach us, empower us to see the things of our Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.